Prayer is not only a spiritual activity that helps us, it's a ministry that helps others. This message is the seventh in the series, Pray. The message is entitled, How to Pray for Others. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. The last several weeks we've been involved in a series this summer called Pray. And we've been primarily focused on the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That prayer was a prayer Jesus gave His disciples and gave us in response to a question from one of His disciples. The question was, or the request was, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, pray like this. And so for the last several weeks, actually six weeks, we've been unpacking what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer is not meant to be just words that you recite. It's meant to be a pattern of prayer for your life. Hallowed be your name. Lord, I focus on you and I turn my attention away from the world around me toward you. May your kingdom come that as you begin to pray for God's will in your life, may God's will be done in your circumstances, environment around you. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, give me everything that I need to do your will. And then we go through the prayer and there are various aspects or patterns and principles of prayer. We've looked at those for these last several weeks together. Today, as a part of this series, I'm going to sort of turn the corner into a new dimension of prayer and talk about some basic prayer principles when it comes to some specific areas in your life that you may struggle with in terms of prayer. And I want to talk today about how to pray for other people. How do you pray for others? Every one of us from time to time will hear someone make a general request or we will have particular people say something like this to us, would you pray for me? I need your prayers. All of us have heard words like that, and unfortunately, sometimes when we hear those words, we we say, oh yes, I will, and then we kind of forget. It's not intentional, but we never really followed through with praying for other people the way that we would like to. And so today, I'm going to share with you some things that will help you to become a prayer person, not just for your own needs, but for the needs of other people. Because prayer is not only a spiritual activity that helps you individually, but it is actually a ministry that God wants to work through you for other people. God wants to teach you how to pray, not only for yourself, but for others. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer where Jesus made it very clear that we are to include others in our prayer. He begins by calling us to pray our Father, not my Father, our Father, a personal pronoun. Lead us not into temptation, not me, but us. And so even in the Lord's Prayer, there's this personal community dimension to praying for other people, including other people in our prayers. The Apostle Paul recognized the value of this in his own life and ministry. Let me read for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Notice his words, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. 
On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul said we have benefited from the prayers of God's people. Paul said in one of the most difficult times when we were in the province of Asia and it felt like we were despairing of life itself, there were people who were praying for us. And because they were praying for us, we were able to make our way through a very difficult period. It was not just his own prayers that got him through. It was the prayers of other people. He was supported by people praying for him, the power of praying for somebody else. Let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Let me go back and remind you of the life of Jesus. Jesus was born, obviously, as we remember, in Bethlehem. He grew up uh, to 30 years of age, and then he entered into the ministry with the Holy Spirit's anointing upon him in the time of his baptism. He begins his earthly ministry, preaching, teaching, healing, all the things that he did so marvelously. And then when he was 33 years of age, he goes to the cross to die for the sins of mankind. He gives his life on Calvary, and he declares it is finished, and he gives up his life for you and me pays the price for our sins. On the third day, Easter morning, death could not hold him. He rose victoriously from the grave, the living Savior. He spent 40 days with his disciples following that time, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then the Bible teaches us that Jesus goes up in Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, and there from the Mount of Olives, he is lifted up and ascends into heaven where he goes to the right hand of God the Father. Where is Jesus today? Jesus has not disappeared into some ethereal universe. No, Jesus Christ, the living Savior, is alive today, seated at the right hand of God the Father, you can look at, you can see that he's there with nail prints in his hands and in his feet and in his side. He is the living Savior, the Lamb of God. In fact, John tells us in the book of Revelation, when he was caught up in heaven, he saw the Lamb of God seated on the throne. That's where Jesus is. And one day Jesus, the living Savior, will come back again. We don't know when that day is, but there'll be a moment when the Father will say, this is the time. It's the time for you to return and to gather up those who are called by your name and bring them home to me. And so there will be the great rapture of the church. We don't know how all of that's going to work, but there will be a time when Jesus will come back again. Dear ones, don't you doubt it. Jesus is coming back again. Don't ever doubt it. Prophets prophesied His first coming, and He came, and prophets have prophesied in Scripture His second coming, and He will come again. But what is Jesus doing between now and then, between the moment where He's seated at the right hand of God the Father and the day that He comes back again? What's Jesus doing now? Is he sort of sitting up in heaven, twiddling his thumbs, just waiting for the Father to say, this is the day? Absolutely not. The Bible teaches us that Jesus right now in heaven is occupied with a ministry. He is doing something right now. And what Jesus, according to the Scripture that we will see in just a moment, what he's doing for us right now is he is praying for you and he's praying for me that he sits on the throne of God making prayers to the Father on our behalf. Now, I will tell you, I've asked lots of people over the years to pray for me, but I'm glad Jesus is praying for me. Amen? 
There's nobody that could pray for you more important or powerful than Jesus himself. Notice Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But because Jesus lives forever, he is a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Notice that word, intercede. The word intercede is a word that means to plead or pray or intervene on the, for help on behalf of another individual. So the basic idea of intercession in the Bible is to pray for someone in need of prayer. So the Bible says that Jesus is living for the purpose of praying for other people. Paul said, I was helped by prayers, the prayers of people. Jesus lives, ever lives for interceding or praying for others. And you and I, you and I, you and me, each one of us here, we are called to the very same ministry to be people who not only pray for ourselves, but we must learn how to pray for other people. How do we do this? How do we begin to engage in this ministry of intercession, this ministry of prayer? Let me share with you eight things that will help you to become a prayer warrior, that will help you to become a prayer person for other people. The first thing that's necessary, you must love the people you're praying for. The first thing that will move you to praying for other people is love, compassion. Compassion is the key. It's the motivator to praying for other people. You must love well to pray well. I want you to listen closely to this. You can't pray effectively for someone that you hate. You can't pray effectively for someone that you resent. You can't pray effectively for someone that you're offended with. You can't pray effectively for someone out of anger and hurt and resentment and hatred. A lot of times we try to pray for people out of hatred, and our prayers go something like this. God, you know that person Get him, God. And so we begin to pray out of this vengeful spirit as though somehow we're asking God to, to be our junkyard dog and go after those who are our enemies. But what the Scripture teaches us is that the most effective prayers are prayers that are based out of compassion and ba- prayers that are based out of love. To pray well, you must love well. And if you have anger and resentment in your heart, you can't pray for a person until you get your own heart right. And you get your own heart right. You get the hatred out of your heart and the resentment out of your heart and compassion for another person begins to be developed in you. Then you can pray for them. Jesus gave us this example. He's praying for the citizens of Jerusalem. And I want you to notice in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, this attitude, this spirit of compassion in Jesus as he's praying for the people that were near and dear to him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often Often I have longed to gather you or gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Do you hear the compassion in Jesus' heart for people? Dear ones, today, if we're going to pray for others, to pray well, we have to love well. You have to love the people you're praying for. How much of the love of God is in your heart? Is God's love blocked by resentment? Is it being blocked by hatred? Is it being blocked by things that you're holding on to inside? You'll never pray well until you love well. Number two, the second thing that's necessary if you and I are going to pray well for other people is to believe that our prayers will positively impact others. You've got to believe that your prayers matter. Impact 
equals influence. That's what I'm talking about. That prayers influence what happens in another person's life. I will tell you something. You are here in this room or whatever venue of worship you're in today, whether it's Clarksburg or USG or Frederick or watching online, you are attending this service today because at some point in time, somebody prayed for you. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody called your name. It might have been a mom or a dad. It might have been a grandmother or a grandfather. It might have been an uncle or an aunt or a cousin. It might have been a co-worker at work. But somebody prayed for you along the way. And as they prayed for you, God began to work in your heart. There was a time in your life you would have never thought of being in church on a Sunday morning. You would never thought of serving God. But God got a hold of you because somebody prayed for you. You might know who that person is or you may not know who they are, but when you get to heaven, you'll know who they are. You'll meet them and hug their neck and thank them for praying you into the kingdom. Because you're here because somebody prayed for you. Their prayers had an influence and an impact upon your life. God touched you and began to move and work in your life because somebody prayed for you. Think about the thousands of people, the tens of thousands of people in our communities in Montgomery County and Frederick County and the greater DMV around us that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're waiting now, if you will, for somebody to pray them into the kingdom, someone to pray for their lives that God would move in them and you can be the person that influences somebody else through your prayers. You say, I don't always know what to say to someone about my faith. You may not always know what to say to them about your faith, but you can always pray for them. They will find faith. Notice the influence that Paul describes here in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The influence of prayer, he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, speaking of the Colossian believers, we have not stopped what? praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that. In other words, he's saying, I know that when we pray, this is what we believe is going to happen. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Paul was convinced that his prayers for the Colossians would make a difference, would have an impact, would have influence in their spiritual life. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Let me tell you a story here in this point from Acts chapter 12. Does prayer work? Does prayer for other people have an impact? Yes, it does. There was a time in the life of the apostle Peter when he'd been arrested and put in prison for preaching the gospel. And Herod was going to put him to death. He was going to, to do what he'd done to some of the other apostles and kill him, martyr him for his faith. And so here he is in prison, but the church, the Bible says in verse number 5 of Acts chapter 12, the church in Jerusalem began to pray for Peter. And God miraculously sent an angel overnight and broke the chains around Peter and opened the prison door and Peter goes free. He's led out in what would almost seem like a dream, but he's led out and he's free and he finds his way to the prayer meeting of the church in Jerusalem. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, when this had dawned on him, on Peter, that is, he'd realized he was set free. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and what were they doing? They were... What were they doing, church? They were praying. You got to get this. 
Peter, are you with me here? Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. So Peter now, he's out of prison. They've been in there praying for him. So he comes to the very house where the prayer meeting is being held. He knocks on the door, and this young girl named Rhoda comes and answers the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Now I would advise her next time, at least open the door for the guy, right? Okay. But she's so excited. Wow, this is Peter. She forgets to open the door and invite him in. So she goes and tells everybody, Peter is at the door. Peter is at the door. And notice the response of the prayer meeting, the people there. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were, what, astonished. Let me give you a word here this morning. This is for somebody here today. If you'll start praying for somebody in your life that God will put on your heart to pray for, you'll be astonished at what God will do in their life. They were astonished at how God set Peter free. You'll be astonished at what God can do in people's lives when you begin to pray for them. Prayer has impact. It has influence. And then number three, expect others to be strengthened by your prayers. When you pray for another person, there's a supernatural strength that comes to that person. Strength to overcome temptation. Strength to press on in the face of weariness, strength to overcome and rise to the challenges that people might be facing. And the people around us, there are people today in your world that are facing temptations that they need strength to overcome. There are people in, their, in, in your world around you who are in the midst of weariness and they're about to give up and they need to be strengthened. There are people in the world around you people that you know, people that you have connection with, and they are, they're just a step away from just throwing in the towel, and they need a prayer from somebody that will bring strength to their life. And I will tell you something about prayer. Prayer supernaturally strengthens people. There are many times that I'm at the back door at the end of a service or in different environments where I might be in to interact with some of us as a congregation, and often I'll hear the words like this, Pastor, we're praying for you. Pastor, we're praying for you. You're on our prayer list. I'll tell you something, there's no words that anyone could ever say to me that are more powerful to me than hearing those words because I know I am sustained by and strengthened by the prayers of people. And when someone says to you, we're praying for you, what it's saying to you is that in those prayers, there's something God is doing in your life that will bring strength to you. And people need our prayers because they need strength. Parents, your children need your prayers. Because they're facing temptations in their life that they need to overcome and they need strength to overcome them. They face challenges in their life that only their parent can pray them through. And part of what we have in our world today are disengaged parents and they just sort of disengage from their kids. And and then there are lots of things that we're going to talk about in a few weeks. Actually, in the fall, I'm going to do an entire series on family life, okay? It's going to be a revolutionary series I'm going to talk about marriage and family and relationships. I'm going to talk about parenting and those kind of things. But let me tell you this right now. One of the most important things you can do, and we'll talk about this later on in this series, the value of praying for your children, their strength that's imparted to them supernaturally when you pray for them. Notice 2 Corinthians 1 verse 11. As you help us, how? By your prayers. 1 Samuel 12 verse 23. The prophet Samuel 
in response to King Saul and some of the issues going on in King Saul's life, Samuel made this statement, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to do what? Failing to pray for you. Samuel said, I don't want to sin against God by failing to embrace my responsibility to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Number four, the fourth thing that is essential you and I are going to pray for other people is you have to let the Holy Spirit lead you as you pray for others. The Holy Spirit helps us to know how to pray for other people. We don't, we don't know the real needs of other people. Only God does. But when you begin to pray for people and you open your heart to God and His Spirit and you begin to pray for another person, here's the beautiful thing. God will guide you in your prayers for another person. Sometimes we think we're praying for one thing in a person's life and we start praying for them and, we, and God begins to move on our hearts and we find ourselves praying in an entirely different way because God will lead you and God will guide you. Sometimes you don't know what to pray for for a person. All they've said is, please pray for me. There have been times that people said, please pray for me. And, and I, I start to pray. I don't know what to pray. What is it that the need is? And anytime someone says that to you, you should ask them, what can I pray for you about? What specifically? But sometimes you don't know. But the Holy, how I many know God knows? Are you with me today? God knows the deepest need of your heart and the deepest need of anyone's heart that you may be praying for. And sometimes you may be praying for one thing when the real need is something else. Sometimes you might be praying for their physical healing when the deeper need is a spiritual healing in their life. Amen? And sometimes you might be praying for a spiritual healing and a real issue is a relational healing that needs to happen in their life. But God knows exactly what everyone needs. And here's the beautiful thing. As a believer in Jesus Christ, here's the wonderful news. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit will help you to pray. Did you hear me? Look at these words in Romans chapter 8. In the same way... The Spirit does what? Helps us where? In our weakness. What weakness? Well, it goes on to say, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know, now here's the confidence, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who, are, who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God says, when you don't know how to pray, trust me in that weakness and I will help you you to pray for others. Number five, the fifth thing that is vital in praying for others is to learn to guard against judgment and self-righteousness and spiritual pride as you pray for other people. There are a lot of words there to, to write down. I'll give you a moment to write them down. Judgment, self-righteousness, and spiritual pride. They all are linked together, but each of them have a unique dimension to them. Judgment, self-righteousness, and spiritual pride. It is so easy that when you begin to pray for other people, if you're not careful, you can elevate yourself when you're praying for someone and begin to develop a judgmental attitude in their life. Because sometimes when you're praying for people, you're praying for people who have, have some messes going on in their life, right? And because you're praying for them, it's easy to get an attitude. Well, you know what? They made their bed. They ought to lie in it. They're just in trouble because of all the messes they've made. And so you can develop a judgmental attitude toward them. And judgment is never our responsibility. Judgment belongs to God. Amen? Okay? 
God is the God of judgment. He calls us to be people of compassion, okay? Here's what God is always interested in in another person's life. He's always interested in redemption and restoration and salvation and deliverance and healing and wholeness. That's what God wants to do. And we need to pray humbly for other people, carefully for other people without a spirit of judgment in our lives against them or toward them. So valuable. Jesus gave a story one day. He said there were two guys that went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a, a dirty, rotten sinner. I'll just sort of paraphrase that, okay? He was a bad guy, okay? And so both of them went to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee, the religious guy, he comes before God and says, Oh, God, you're so blessed to have me. I'm awesome. I do everything you ask me to do. I'm amazing, God. Look at me. You're blessed to have me serve you. That's really a big paraphrase on what he said. But in essence, he's bragging on himself before God, and he promotes himself before God. He has this attitude of superiority that he carries with him. And then the, the camera, if you will, lens goes from this guy to the sinner over here, and we are able to listen to his words, and he prays a prayer like this, Oh God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus posed the question, which of the two went away justified before God? Did the guy who had the big head and the spiritual attitude of pride go away justified? Or did the man who realized his brokenness go away justified? The answer is very clear. The man who had humility and brokenness was the man that found God. If you want to connect with God, don't be like that guy. Be like this guy, amen? Take a look at what the Scripture says in Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you too may be tempted. Restoration of another person sometimes involves interaction with them, but many times it involves prayer for them. Number six, the sixth thing that's essential. To pray for other people, you have to fight for others in prayer. People around you are in a spiritual battle. Parents, your children are in a spiritual battle. Wives, your husbands are in spiritual battles. Husbands, your wives are in spiritual battles. In your neighborhoods, there's more than just neighborhood crime and things of that nature going on. There's a spiritual battle in our communities for the hearts and souls of people. We live in a world of spiritual conflict. The external conflict that we see in our world today is just symptomatic of the spiritual conflict in the invisible realm around us. We live in a world that is battling between light and darkness, good and evil, righteousness and, 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 un, and unrighteousness. And so we live in the context of a spiritually charged atmosphere where there's a battle going on. And you and I need to engage the battle. And one of the ways that you engage the battle to advance righteousness is by by learning how to fight in prayer. See, we don't fight as believers this way. Amen? Are you hearing me this morning? We don't fight this way. We don't fight this way with our words. How do we fight? We fight this way on our knees. Amen? We fight from a position of intercession. 
We fight from a position of God. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. You've got to battle in prayer because I will tell you something. Sometimes the breakthrough will not come until there's a battle. You've got to battle your way through and pray your way through. Sometimes kids don't turn around without you being on your knees and fighting for weeks and months and sometimes years. And then God gets a hold of them and turns them around because you've been on your knees in your bedroom, in your prayer closet, fighting on your knees and asking God to do a work in their life. And God's hearing those prayers and God's working. And at some point in time, there'll be a moment when everything will click inside of them and they'll get it. They'll understand and their, their eyes will, will open up and they'll turn to God and experience him in their life. But they need a praying parent that's on their knees fighting the battle for them. They need a praying granddaddy and a praying grandmama and a praying uncle and aunt and cousin and sister and brother that's fighting for them in prayer. But you've got to fight the battle because battles are not won without a fight. And so we don't fight like this and we don't fight with our words. We fight on our knees because we're not battling with flesh and blood. Ephesians says our battle is not with flesh and blood, with principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in the heavenly realm. So it's a spiritual battle that we're engaged in and that we have to fight the fight. Abraham understood this. When Abraham received the news that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed, an evil place, Abraham immediately goes to God and his prayer says, God, if there's 50 righteous there, just 50 Would you spare it? And there were not 50. So, God, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10, there were not even 10 righteous people. But the point I'm making is that Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot and his family escaped Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham fought the good fight of faith in intercession. Amen? You and I have to fight the fight. Colossians 4 verse 12. I want you to read this together with me. We're going to read it at all of our campuses aloud and loudly. The first word is a name and that name is Epaphras. So say that name with me, Epaphras. So I'll go ahead and help you to know what that name is before we read it together. Are you ready? Let's read. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. What was Epaphras known for? Wrestling in prayer for his fellow believers at Colossae. He was a prayer warrior. He, He knew how to fight the fight of prayer. Number seven, the seventh thing today is to pray for the people that God places in your world. I want to encourage all of us today to realize that in the world that God has placed you, you, everybody's world's a little bit different. You know people that other people don't know. You're in a job that is unique to you. You live in a house, a neighborhood that other people don't live in. So everybody has their own unique world. But in your unique world, God wants to use you in your world. And God wants to use you and your world to be a kingdom advancer. I want you to say that phrase with me, a kingdom advancer. Come on, everybody, a kingdom advancer. Okay, what does that mean? It means that he wants to use you to advance his kingdom wherever you are, the world that he's put you in. In your family, you're called to be a kingdom advancer. In your neighborhood, you're called to be a kingdom advancer. 
in your workplace, you're called to be a kingdom advancer. Wherever you go, in whatever world God opens up to you, what are you called to be, church? You're called to be a kingdom advancer. You are a representative of the kingdom. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Now hold your head up and realize you are an ambassador of Jesus. Don't let the devil press your head down into the problems of life. No, you get your head up. The Bible says he's the glory and the lifter of our head. So get your head up and realize I am a kingdom ambassador I'm a kingdom advancer. And one of the ways that you advance the kingdom is by your prayers. That means that in your family, you're praying for your family. And so you're advancing the kingdom in your family. It means that in your neighborhood, you need to advance the kingdom through prayer in your neighborhood. You say, well, how do I do that? You just simply walk through your neighborhood praying for people. It's called a prayer walk. And a prayer walk is you just walk through your neighborhood and pray for your neighbors. When was the last time you prayed for your neighbors? You, you've complained about them, but when was the last time you prayed for them, okay? And let me tell you what a prayer walk is. A prayer walk is not walking up in front of your neighbor's house and sticking your hand out. Lord, I rebuke all the demons in that house in Jesus' name. No, it's not a prayer. If you do that kind of stuff, do not tell them you come to this church, okay? Don't tell them, okay? You go to another church, okay? You don't come to our church if you do that stuff, okay? Okay? A prayer walk is you just walk by, and as you're walking by, you pray for them. Lord, I pray today. I'm walking my dog. I don't have a dog, but... I'm praying for the Joneses here. I pray you'd bless their family. I pray you'd work. If they don't know you, Jesus, I'm just asking you to, to touch them. You move on to the next house. Lord, as I'm walking through the neighborhood, would you bless this family? I don't know their names, but... Lord, would you just touch them? And you can do it very gently, very quietly. You say, does God hear and answer prayers like that? Some of you are here today because somebody prayed for you like that, okay? Somebody prayed for you like that. It's called a prayer walk. And so I'll give you the definition of a prayer walk. You walk and that's all it is, okay? Everybody can do that, right? Not a single person here. How about on your job? You can walk through your job area and that, that, that office you're in, that place of business, and just as you walk, you just gently, just gently pray. You don't walk to your boss's office and say, in the name of Jesus, demon, come out of him. Okay? You don't do that stuff. No. Again, if you do stuff like that, you do not come to this church. You don't come to this church. Okay? Understand? That's called weird. That's what that's called. Okay? But you just, you get there a little early and you just have a little prayer over your office. It doesn't have to be really vocal. Just gently you pray over that. God, I'm asking that your kingdom would come. You walk into Safeway. Lord, I pray I'm your representative. I'm going to hold my head high because I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as I walk that my feet would be the gospel of peace today. I pray that as I walk through the store that you'll leave a blessing around me and that you draw people to you. Are you seeing what I'm talking about? You say, this seems like strange. No, it's not. This is called living your life on purpose living your life as a kingdom advancer. And the last point I'd like to share with you today, actually, let's read a couple of scriptures as we conclude. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Romans 12, 12, Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And the last point I want to give you is to remember to pray for people in authority, people in leadership, and people of influence. That's part of what we've been called to do is pray for people who are in places of authority, in places of leadership, and in places of influence. It's very important we pray for those in places of leadership, that God's grace and power would rest and work through them. 
Notice 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, I'm a Bible teacher, okay? So I want you to hear what the Bible says about this, okay? Here's Paul's words to Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for the people you like. Is that what it says? No. doesn't say that, right? I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for? Does everyone include people you don't like? Does it? Come on, church, does it? Now, just be honest, we're in church. Do you have some people you don't like? Come on, shake your head. Come on, tell the truth. Okay, right? Come on, some of you are lying right now, okay? So... I urge then, first of all, that prayers, request, request prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Well, who's the everyone? For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases who? God, our Savior. Paul understood as a spiritual leader the value of people praying for him. He asked for their prayers and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. And he pray, asked for prayer again in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as, it is with, just as it was with you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not everyone has faith. Let me conclude by asking you just a couple of questions. We're talking about prayer, people who pray. Do you pray for other people or do you spend most of your time praying for yourself? Do you have a prayer list of other people? If you don't, it's okay. Today we get started. Today's a fresh start. I would encourage you to develop a prayer list that goes beyond your own needs, but who are you going to pray for? Put them on a list. Write their names down. Write their needs down and begin to pray for them. It doesn't have to be hundreds of people. It might be four, five, six people. It might be two or three people, but ask God, God, who do you want me to pray for consistently? And let God put some people on your heart and begin to pray beyond yourself and pray for others. Have you accepted your prayer assignment? Will you accept the responsibility today that when we leave this place today that we will go out as kingdom advancers? And one of the ways that we will advance the kingdom is by being people of prayer. Catch this vision with me. With this, we're going to be done. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what the DMV would be like if every one of us at all of our campuses just from this one church, Church of the Redeemer, if we went out this week and consistently practiced praying for people, I'm telling you, we'd have to build another building just to put people in that would be coming to salvation in Christ. Amen? Because people would be impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ by the prayers of people just like you. Accept the calling. Accept the assignment to pray for others. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Lord, thank you for your word today. We're grateful for... You speaking to us, we ask that you'll help us to embrace this duty, this responsibility, this privilege of praying for other people. Seal this word in our heart today, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? 
right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. and You begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.